What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Gifted Hoops Podcast. She's your host with the most. My name is Gifted, and we're back on episode 31. I've been killing it. I've been getting the names and titles right consistently back to back to back. Y'all can't show me these comments, but we are back for episode 31 to talk about Utah Jazz basketball. And I'm joined today by a Utah Jazz content creator who covers the team consistently. He has his own podcast. I'm going to let him introduce himself to the people. Richie, say hello to the people. What's up? My name's Richie. Uh, like, like my man said, I'm a content creator for Utah Jazz. Um, I do a little podcast on the Switch Lake City podcast. I also post daily content on Twitter um, covering the Utah Jazz, breaking it down. I love Utah Jazz basketball, and I love small market basketball. I'm, I'm trying to show some love for some small market teams. Hey. I respect you in that approach. Again, go tap into his stuff. These links and all that will be in the description, in the comments. He does some great work. His podcasts are dope. And also, if you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, download his stuff. It helps a lot. As a creator myself, it means a lot to go tap in with the audio version. So with this podcast, Gift the Hoops as well, make sure to go tap in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you get your podcast and content. For the video version, that will live exclusively on YouTube. Appreciate all the support on there. We just hit 1.3 thousand subscribers, but let's get right to the episode. Okay, so we're here. I'm happy to have you here. I think the best place to start for the Utah Jazz before we get into the nitty gritty of things would be with the Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert trade before the 2023 season. Give me your thoughts on that, Richie. Yeah, so it kind of ended with the Jazz losing to the Mavericks in the 22 playoffs. Uh, lost in six games. Some of those games, Luka wasn't even playing. It's just that whole season was the vibes were off. Uh, and the season before, the Jazz had the best record in the NBA. They were the number one seed. They beat the Grizzlies in the first round, and then they lost to the Clippers after starting the series 2-0. And so that was kind of a theme with that era of the Jazz, and it just didn't feel like they could get past that hurdle. As they went into the 2022 offseason, they didn't have any cap space. They didn't have any draft picks. There was no real way for them to get better. And so it seemed like things were due for a change. And we kind of saw the first sign of a change right before the draft kind of in June when Royce O'Neal was traded to the Brooklyn Nets for a first round pick. And then you had that iconic Brian Windhorst moment where he had both fingers up. He's like, what's going on in Utah? And that, that was a great moment. Jazz fans were kind of like, oh, nothing's going on. Um, July 6, 2022, Rudy Gobert gets traded to the Minnesota Timberwolves for Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Walker Kessler, Jared Vanderbilt, I believe four first round picks and two pick swaps. And at that point, the time bomb is ticking. You know it's over. It's only a matter of time before the Jazz find a suitable trade partner for Donovan Mitchell. The Knicks were probably the front runner for, mo for most of that process. And then September tw 3rd, 2022, I think we were all a little bit blown away, but Donovan Mitchell was traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers for Ochai Baj, Ilari Markkinen, Colin Sexton, uh, four first round picks and two swaps. So all of a sudden, the Jazz go from essentially having no way to get better, no future, a team that had kind of bottomed out in a way. Uh, I don't think that group with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert was going to get any better. And then they go into this rebuild situation where they have a plethora of draft picks. They have 
two rookies, Ochai Baji and Walker Kessler, all of a sudden, and then a couple of young players who I thought I think people were like interested in, like Jared Vanderbilt. I thought he was an interesting player. Uh, Colin Sexton was obviously an interesting player. Not that season, not the 2021, 20, not the 21, 22 season, but the season before that, Colin Sexton was averaging like 25 points per game. Uh, he was playing ridiculously good. He was beating the big three Brooklyn Nets on back-to-back games. Yes, sir. Like, Colin Sexton was really good. And so I think Jazz fans and probably just NB- the NBA as a whole, we were looking at Colin Sexton as, like, the main piece, kind of the guy that you could let... You could see if, if something was there. I think that was probably the idea. And so all of a sudden, it, the future is looking bright. And you're also going into this draft class, the 2023 draft class. You know about Victor Weminyama. You've heard about some other guys. Uh, Scoot Henderson was popping off draft boards. That was kind of like right around the G League showcase. So people were kind of like, okay, there's a clear number one and number two. And the Jazz were poised tank and essentially try to get one of those top guys in a loaded draft class. I think a lot of that is well said. My opinion on the Jazz as a outsider, Richie, for me, is the Jazz were always a great regular season team. This team was the team that was built to win a bunch of regular season basketball. Rudy Gobert, who gets a lot of slander from people who watch basketball, was one of the best defenders we've ever seen, dominated his era, and was carrying the Utah Jazz team to a top defense. When Gobert was not on the floor, they were a abysmal defense, and he was making up for so many defensive liabilities And that type of thing didn't get exploited that much during the regular season. But in playoff battles where, sure, Donovan had many moments where he, you know, rose up exponentially, the flaws of that defense with Clarkson and all of these other guys really showed itself more because Gobert was put in a spot where, okay, if they're running five out where everyone on the floor can shoot, I have to find a way to be in the paint or the corner. I have to consistently, like pick my poison and choose and the most efficient shot is not the three-pointer it's the layup so him taking away the paint from a team made more sense but by doing that the jazz failed to rotate properly to support him and they would often bleed points allowed in the playoffs specifically in the clippers overall series when terrence Mann had 40 points in the corner a lot of it came from corner three sure but how many possessions did we see where gobert was literally pointing to jordan clarkson hey go here your defensive assignment is up here go here Clarkson falls asleep doesn't do it and then a walk-up Paul George three a walk-up catch and shoot Nicholas Batum three right like that was the jazz to me so coming off of the loss to the Mavericks where there was no Luka at all to start that series and seeing Jalen Brunson just absolutely eat and torch any perimeter guy on him especially Donovan Mitchell you saw that jazz team there like okay they have to figure out what they're going to do to get better because like you said the resources and picks that they had were not there to drastically improve the roster so if they brought it back again it was going to be more of the same and this is probably the weakest season that they've had together towards the end as they were kind of bottoming out so for me i thought the writing was on the wall for a trade to happen and then when gobert gets traded i'm like wow he gets traded to the western conference still He goes to Minnesota for pretty much a bunch of draft capital, a bunch of good players. I mean, Ochai, I didn't know too much about him, but seeing him play, like, this dude is good. He can can shoot, play off-ball defense. Like, 
things are coming nice for him together and he's a respect like he's a really good shooter so to me that fit in well but then after that people ask themselves okay is donovan mitchell gonna get traded now is he just gonna stay because he technically didn't ask out and the next thing we know he's traded and it's to the cleveland cavaliers for their future capital uh Colin Sexton and Lori Markinen. And the funniest part about the entire sentence I just spoke to you is, like you said, a lot of people looked at Colin Sexton as the real appeal deal of that package, as a guy that could just be this flashy guy to put people in seats as they rebuild and get better. People thought Lori Markinen was just some throw-in piece to make the money work. That's what it was. And obviously, instead, we were completely wrong Laurie Markkinen turned into one of the best players in basketball in a season. But those are my thoughts overall on the Jazz right there, Richie. Yeah, no, I think I think that's like really spot on analysis, especially about how the Jazz crumbled in that playoff series. And it's it's really interesting going back, watching some of those games. And there, I think Jazz fans believe that a lot of it was coaching and just a ability to Quinn Snyder's maybe faultiness in flexibility but I think when you really look at it it's probably just roster construction and not having I mean look you're starting two 6-1 guards in Mike Conley Donovan Mitchell uh your three is a 6-4 guy in Royce O'Neal who is a great rebounder he's a pretty solid defender but let's be clear he's not Mikhail Bridges he's not one of those guys that can alter your defense and then you have Bojan Bogdanovic at the four Totally fine player, average 20 points that last season, really good shooter, but yeah, like he doesn't have the defensive chops that some of these other guys uh, that you need to build a solid defense have. And so you're kind of leaving Gobert on an island, and it's honestly just probably faulty roster construction, which ultimately undid the team. Um, but yeah, it, I, yeah, it's... Look, look for Jazz fans, it's, it's hard to revisit that era. I don't think we're totally healed yet. But we're getting there. <laughs> hey, listen, I feel that. I mean, there was a, a big change. I mean, the number one and two player, I'm not going to say which was the one because I could kill for it. But I personally think, you know, <laughs> maybe the Frenchman might have been the one. But but anyway, anyway, right? Like the, these two players get vacated from the Jazz. And like you said, what people have to appreciate about the genius of the moves that they made is they were able to completely go full rebuild but get the most return for both of their players. Ironically, Gobert going for more than what Donovan Mitchell went for. And you now have a bevy of future round draft picks coming to you. And you also got really good players. Like, we can now focus on Laurie Marketing, right? Like, like how this guy who is this, like, wing-ish type of player for the Cavs who could provide length and spacing was thought of as, like, okay, he's a good role player type of guy. And he goes to the Jazz, makes the All-Star game. In my opinion, was all NBA caliber. Maybe if the team won more games, he would have got a bit more nods. But became one of the best off-ball players in the sport. The efficiency without having to touch the ball that much was mind-breaking. And I guarantee you, for me at least, I did not have on my 2023 bingo card Laurie Markkinen being that good. What were your thoughts on him specifically when the trade happened? It's interesting looking back at it now because there were signs that he had this potential. Um, coming out of that offseason, he finished that offseason playing in the Euro basket. 
uh, playing against other European competition, NBA players, and he had a really good Eurobasket. I think right. there were highlights like basically every game he was playing of him postering some European big man. Uh, he was playing great. I think the other sign was his ability to start playing the three for Cleveland. I thought I think that was really big in his career trajectory and just how he's going to be used in the future. Um, before he was like a stretch four, and he, and he played fine as it um, a stretch four. Like you look at some of those numbers in Chicago, like he put up some good numbers for a couple of years. I think there were maybe some other issues uh, specifically with a coach named Joy, Jim Boylan that happened that might have affected his early career, um, but. I feel like he he found something in Cleveland playing the three position. And then he gets to Utah and all of a sudden he's in this different totally different system. And I think the Eurobasket was really big for his confidence and his ability to be sort of like a number one scorer. Uh, I don't think that's what his long-term trajectory should be, but I think like right right now he's the number one option on the Utah Jazz. And he gets into the the system, the situation and I think Will Hardy, the coach of the Utah Jazz, has been really key in Laurie's sort of emergence because Will Hardy emphasizes getting his, the strengths out of his players. So he's been able to help Laurie score uber efficient. I mean, like, Laurie was almost a 50-40-90 guy last year. Crazy. Shot 49.9% from the field. Uh, let's see, 39% from three. 65% 87% from free throw. Yeah, yeah, just like insanely good three-point shooting shooting from and scoring just from all over and super efficient the way he scores is really creative too like uh it's kind of like watching a seven foot clay thompson uh like like let's be let's be clear he's not clay thompson and he's not as good as a shooter as clay thompson but if clay thompson were a seven footer and maybe a little worse of a shooter. That's kind of what you're seeing in Larry Markkinen as far as like how he scores. Like he's coming off pin down screens. He's they, the Utah Jazz. They operate a lot out of the court, out of the corner, and that's where Larry thrives. And then Larry also has this element where he's kind of can just jump over anybody and dunk over anybody. And we've seen that. Like that's why he's earned the nickname the finisher, uh, both because of his finish background and because he has been such a good finisher. And so it's been really fun to watch Larry Markkinen to see his emergence as an all-star player. Uh, I think the all-NBA thing was interesting that you mentioned because, yeah, I mean, if if the Jazz don't sit him towards, like, for the last month of the season, he plays 70-plus games, then I think you're looking at, like, maybe taking Julius Randle out. And I think Laurie, like, had, out of the forwards, was the next guy up. Um, so that was, that was a little controversial for Jazz fans. But at the same time, most improved player. All-Star. He started in the All-Star game because a couple guys were out. Really good season from Larry Markkinen, and all of a sudden the Jazz have this guy who he's still only 25, which is kind of crazy. Like, I feel like he's been in the league for a decade, but the guy's still 25. And that's a really good piece to have as you're building out your roster. I think the other guy that has really emerged as a potential cornerstone piece is Walker Kessler. And I don't know how much the casual NBA fan knows about Walker Kessler, but I think you're getting more and more exposed to him, especially as he played in the Olympics this last summer. And look, the guy, he was the number 22 pick. I don't think expectations were super high, especially just being a big man that can't shoot, doesn't do a lot of post up. Like he's primarily a rim protector, but Walker Kessler all of a sudden has this great year. He's putting up numbers similar to Rudy Gobert. 
looking like a very similar player. I think he has some some wrinkles, some things in his game that he needs to iron out. Um, but he's another guy where he's only 21. You're going into this next season, and all of a sudden you have these two seven-foot franchise cornerstones, uh, guys that the Jazz made untouchable at the trade deadline. And I think if you're a Jazz fan, you got to be feeling pretty optimistic about those two pieces in particular. Yeah, I like your point about Kessler. I mean, I would turn on my TV and just see the way he was protecting the rim. Obviously, his offensive game needs more work, sure. But in terms of defense, his numbers are very comparable to Gobert. And this is him as a rookie player, not knowing everything he's doing in the NBA just yet. Right. So that fit makes a bunch of sense. And I love your point about Laurie Markkinen's flexibility because his ability to shoot the basketball and also be a great post-up guy, his flexibility to be able to play the three, the four, and in some limited stretches, some small ball five, sometimes a little bit, being able to have that flexibility with him makes him such a portable player for the Jazz to where you can make it work with playing other guys who maybe can't shoot around him because he provides that shooting. And the other thing is the level of shooter he is cannot go untalked about because the way he shoots the ball it's not just I can shoot in corners. He can be a movement shooter. He can shoot from the mid-range. Mm -hmm. He can operate in many pick and rolls. He can pop. He can abuse mismatches. But more importantly, he doesn't need the ball to get his shot off. And for me personally, as a Golden State fan, you know I love that. I love a guy that can be impactful to winning basketball to where he doesn't need to have so many touches to where he can unlock Jordan Clarkson potentially in that guard spot more because of how portable he can be and how complimentary Laurie Marketing can be. He can be the best player on the Jazz while giving up the ball handling reps to somebody else. And the fact that he was able to do that at a high level with a one-year turnaround from Cleveland to now really speaks volumes to just how good he is as a player. Oh yeah, I totally agree. I think I think Laurie had just a fantastic season. And yeah, I mean like the guy he doesn't need to touch the ball every possession. And if he does, like he's touching the ball once present once a possession and he's instantly in a scoring action. And that's kind of it's exciting because if you're a Jazz fan, you're looking at the treasure chest of assets that you have right now and you're kind of just like, okay, if one of these draft picks pans out or let's say a disgruntled star comes to the market then you can instantly just throw him into the utah jazz system you already have your number two guy somebody that isn't relying on touches that doesn't have an ego that isn't needing a certain amount of touches isn't needing a certain amount of points per game um in Laurie marketing and all of a sudden you're like okay you got number one and a number two guy and you're that much closer to being able to build a championship caliber team and i think that's to me that's one of the most attractive things about Laurie marketing is the plug-and-play ability 100 100%, 100%. so he had a great season gotta shout him out because again he was one of my biggest surprises i thought he should have been like clearly unanimous most improved player which i kind of hate the way that they do that award now because it should go to a guy <laughs> that has spent like three to four years in the league that is like a late yeah. boomer but then explodes overnight from season to season Lori was absolutely that and no one thought of him to be that until this season, which big shout out to him because, you know, obviously as an NBA player, confidence is everything. And I feel like for him being traded to the Jazz and the Jazz putting trust in him to be that guy 
really spoke volumes to how he was able to play basketball for the rest of their season. So that was great. But I think this is the perfect time to get into the start of the 2023 season and how much of a surprise the Jazz were. Because coming in, a lot of people counted the Jazz out as a team that would be a really bad team, like the worst team in a conference that had the Rockets in it. Like that, that type of thing there for a lot of people. And coming in, they just shocked everybody. They were actively winning games. They were trying to win games and guys are playing super duper hard. Can you tell me about your biggest takeaways from that hot start with the way you guys started out the season? I think the way the roster constructed was really interesting to start the season. You have Mike Conley running the point guard, Jordan Clarkson at the two, uh, Laurie at the three, Vanderbilt at the four, and then usually Olenek at the five. So, I mean, like, none of those guys are necessarily scrubs. Like, that's a pretty solid starting five. Those are all guys that would get minutes for pretty much any team in the NBA playoffs, right? Um, and then you kind of look at the bench. It's, okay, Colin Sexton, Walker Kessler, Ochag, Baji, Taylor Horton Tucker, uh, Rudy Gay. All of a sudden, you kinda, you're, you're kind of looking at this team. You're like, do they have some guys? Like, they kind of have some guys. Malik Beasley also deserves a huge shout, huge shout out because he was playing so good for the Jazz. Um don't want to necessarily speak to what happened afterwards with the Lakers, but he played great for the Jazz. So you kind of look at that group of guys and it's like, wow, that's actually like not a bad group of guys. Um, but at the same time, they just lost Rudy Gobert. They just, they just lost Donovan Mitchell. Expectations are super low. From a business perspective and just a general team building perspective, they should probably be trying to tank just for that extra chance at Victor Weminyama. And then they come out of the gates and they come out firing. Um, I think a lot of it, to, a lot of credit goes to some of the veterans on this team. Uh, the way Mike Conley and Kelly Olynyk were able to get the most out of their teammates, Mike Conley specifically. Uh, Mike Conley just had really good chemistry with Jordan Clarkson and Larry Markkinen, which allowed both of those guys to be 20 point per game scorers. Man, I just, I love watching Mike Conley. I have such a profound appreciation for the player that he is in the way that he's able to make life easier for his teammates. I think he absolutely excels at it. And then you kind of just have, you have all these pieces and look, let's, let's be clear. Like you start to look at these games on like an individual game to game basis and teams were missing guys, just usual excuses that you could make, but the jazz did get through their first 13 games of this season and were 10 and three. And so I, th I think that was a really encouraging start especially compared to what the expectations were. Um, then they kind of started to get go through some injuries. Just the natural course of the NBA began to play out and the Jazz started losing games. But I feel like they absolutely exceeded expectations. A lot of credit goes to Will Hardy once again, who built a really good system that, let's see, they, they're one of the top offenses in the NBA. And you kind of look at that like roster and it's like, oh, this team finished 10th in offensive rating, like they were in the top one-third of teams in offensive rating. That's pretty impressive. Uh, the defense is was not quite as good, and I think that's probably a roster construction and just the personnel that they had. But that group, like, they were able to accomplish a lot. And I think you look at this group, and it's a lot of guys that just have chips on their shoulders um, and also complementary play styles. I think the way that they were able to share the ball, the way that they were able to have an offense that was designed to get you layups and three-pointers i think that played a huge factor in their hot start and 
one thing that also jumped out is Larry Markkinen. He was like averaging 20 points per game that first month and was shooting like 18% from three. He had an awful start to the season from shooting, uh, shooting perspective. I'm so and, happy you said that. I'm so like, like, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it's like this guy that was marketed as this 40% shooter <laughs> was shooting the ball yeah. badly and still being so effective on the floor. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's a fact. No, and so, like, you you look at that and you're like, oh, if the three-pointer starts falling, this guy is going to be, like, a 25, 26-point-per-game scorer. And that's what he ended up being. So, the team just, they had a really good start. It was a lot of fun. Like I said, the natural course of the NBA played out. Injuries happened. Uh, There's a, a segment where they started losing games and where Mike Conley was hurt and you had Colin Sexton starting to play the point guard. And that I think that exposed some weaknesses in the team, um, some weaknesses that'll probably continue to this next season where they just don't really have a true playmaker without Mike Conley. Um, like I said, I'm such a big fan of Mike Conley, the way he's able to set up and create for his teammates and the way he's just able to facilitate and be kind of the table setter and get his guys in the right spots, I think is really special. Um, it's one of the reasons I'm high on the Minnesota Timberwolves going into this next season. But yeah, like that, that group, they were able to get a lot done, especially that first part of the season. And then it kind of kind of took a dip. Um, players started getting injured. And then you get to the All-Star break. And the Jazz, because they have so many assets, because you know that they're a team that's rebuilding. Like they're still hovering right around 500. Um, they like were in the 10th spot for a little bit. So you're sort of looking at like a potential play-in spot. But because they were kind of rebuilding... They're involved in a lot of these trade conversations, and I think that's what leads you to um, the big three-team trade that happened at the trade deadline. Uh, and the Utah Jazz shipped out Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Mike Conley, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley. So those are like th those were four rotation players, and then they bring in um, a couple other guys. Uh, nobody that really made a difference. I think the big uh, difference was getting that first round pick from the Lakers in 2027. You also brought in Russell Westbrook, who you immediately waived. And so then you're kind of like, okay, we know what to expect for the rest of the season. Like the jazz through their transactions have signaled what direction the team is going to go into. And they've gone to this point where they're probably going to start losing games. And all of a sudden you get Walker Kessler DNPs, you get Larry Markin and DNPs, Jordan Clarkson DNPs, Colin Sexton DNPs, and you go into the end of the season and, and, you finish the seed. Um, but I think it was a really encouraging season because when these guys were trying, like they were in a play-in spot. And when you had your team at full capacity, they were in a play-in spot. And so I think going into this next season, probably what the team is thinking is, hey, when we were healthy, when we had all our guys, we were playing good. And they're going to be competitive this next year. Uh, I think that's and that's what they were every night last year they were competitive as jazz fans we were rooting for them to tank at the end of the season because we knew look we're probably not going to make the playoffs if we do we're probably going to get swept in the first round uh i think that would have been a probable outcome against the denver nuggets and so let's go try to get a higher percentage chance at victor Weminyama. and they just kept winning games uh they were starting games with like Chris Dunn, who had a great bounce back season. Uh, he's a guy that I'm really looking forward to watch this next season. And Taylor Horton Tucker, Ochag Baji, Udoka Azabuki, Rudy Gay. Like those, that's your starting five. And you're like beating teams like the Denver Nuggets, the Boston Celtics towards the end of the season. And 
I think if you're a Jazz fan, like, that's honestly pretty encouraging because I think that's a factor of culture. Uh, I think the culture is a winning culture and they're going to try to be competitive every night. Whether that actually results in winning every night, that's TBD. We'll see. Um, but I do think they are going to be competitive. They're going to prize themselves on being competitive night in and night out. And when they have such a deep roster, like you're looking at this next season, where, look, it's not super top-heavy, but you have a lot of pieces, I think that's where it starts to get really interesting. Yeah, I just have to applaud this Jazz team, because, again, what I like about it is they found a way to keep their identity in terms of structurally, we're not going to quit, we're going to play hard, and the players to start the season rally behind that underdog thing where everyone just expects us to be bad as if we're bad NBA players. We're going to go out here and perform at the highest level. And they stole a lot of games. I mean, dude, as a Warriors fan, we talked about this before the podcast, you know, <laughs> here. But, dude, dude, that Warriors game where there was, like, no Curry and it's Jordan Poole and these guys playing basketball and seeing the pain in my eyes on the execution of the Warriors <laughs> compared to the Jazz. Like how how literally in the span of a minute, the lead goes from a five point lead to a three point swing the other way for the Utah Jazz. The effort to not quit and fight and fight and win. And the way that Lloyd Markkinen also was able to just get to the free throw line. Like all of these things factored into why the Jazz had such a good season. But also realistically as the team understanding that, hey, we're in the rebuild. We have all these assets, but we should also aim to get a high draft pick for this year. The way that they backpedal to losing more games subtly, not as a like, okay, we don't believe in our plays anymore, but just we have to go in this proper direction. It's a good balance between the two. If you're going to tank games away, that's how you tank to me. Like you, you show a competitive spirit for a good chunk of the season. And then towards the end, you slightly tail off. Maybe extra wide player doesn't play because that's just how the NBA works and at the end of the day, the NBA is a business. And as fans, we understand that realistically to give yourself a better chance to try and win that championship, certain roles have to be taken to do so. We've all been there. So I think that's a spot on analysis of the Jazz from your perspective. I would give their season a win in terms of A, the growth and development of some of those players was like key. And being those teams late in the season where those teams were trying to win, where they're trying to like get further into the playoffs they came into utah and got smoked like that speaks to the effort and the heart that the jazz played with which even though they might not be a sexy team to watch that's why i tuned in to the jazz games i did and i will be tuning in more to jazz games this season as well richie oh yeah no i think i think you make a great point because like looking at their last season you look at like what the expectations were i think the expectations were super low but the fact that they were able to build a culture, uh, find an identity as a team in terms of like their play style, how they want to build out their roster, um, specifically with like size and shooting. I think those are the real big things that they want on their roster. You're starting to see that play out even more right now, but being able to find that identity as a team, I think is really important. Uh, I think the Denver Nuggets are the obvious role model and they've had a, an identity for a while. You also look at the Warriors the last couple of years. I, that, that, that's, that's a team with a clear identity um they know who they are they know how they're gonna play and i think when you start to when this group starts to get older when they start to get more serious about making playoff appearances that continuity that identity is going to play such a, a big part 
And so being able to find that early, I think is really beneficial for the Jazz right now. And like you said, I think that that alone just exceeded expectations and made it an A plus season. 100%. Now, this part of the podcast, before we get to 2024 expectations, I want to tell you what my personal takeaways from the Jazz were and things that surprised me. We uh, already talked about Lloyd Markinen, but I have to say, for me, this was the most mature season I've seen from Jordan Clarkson. I think the way Clarkson came together in terms of the the way his game evolved, it was very mature. How he was that great off-ball option for that jazz team and the way that he led even with the two-man game with Laurie I think Clarkson was a phenomenal surprise for the jazz this year what what were your thoughts on him man I I feel bad for not touching on Jordan Clarkson because he had a great season uh career high in scoring career high in assists played really good this last season I think for me the big thing was just his ability to like be a starter and be solid in his role i think he really found a great role as a six man he obviously won six man of the year in 2020 uh quinn snyder was able to really help jordan clarkson in his development in that role turned him into sort of a guy that was taking like a lot of mid-range shots a lot of shots that maybe the analytics guys would say are like bad shots to a guy that scores kind of from everywhere but turned into a really good three-point shooter jordan clarkson i feel like he just found his role uh, and he found it even more this last season as he was thrust into the starting lineup. Like, you kind of knew Jordan Clarkson was going to be one of the main guys on this team, that he was going to be a starter. And for him to be able to shine in that role, to be like a 20-point-per-game guy, a guy that averages four and a half assists, and to be a guy that could play a great deal of secondary facilitator, I think was really big for the Jazz this last year. And it projects well for the Jazz this next year, too, because... I mean, yeah, he just turned 30, but I think he's going to, th I still think he has more to his game. I think from a playmaking perspective, especially, he can be a really good secondary playmaker for your team. Uh, the defense is questionable, and that's kind of where my big holdup is with Jordan Clarkson as far as like his long-term trajectory with the Utah Jazz, because while I do think he has areas that he can improve on and that he will improve on, I don't know if defense is necessarily one of them. Uh, I kind of personally believe that a lot of defense is having the right body type, having the right mindset, being able to kind of have that like attack, not turn off your, uh, just like the ability to never back down to anybody. Jordan Clarkson, he never backs down to anybody. Uh, one of those games against the Warriors, man, he threw up his fists. Like he's, he's exactly. not that kind of guy. <laughs> and so like the effort is there and you'll see it on his defense like the effort is there i think where he kind of gets punished is maybe some miscommunications not understanding exactly what the offense is trying to do and uh, just look he's a skinny guy uh you look at him he's he's a pretty skinny guy and, and so i think that's kind of where some of the defenses defensive limitations um are the jazz love him though you go talk to any kid in Utah, any like eight-year-old, nine-year-old kid. You ask them who their favorite player on the Jazz is. There's like a nine out of ten percent chance, nine out of ten chance, you're gonna hear them say Jordan Clarkson. Uh, I think he's really good for the culture here. He likes being here. Like he just re-signed a contract, uh, extended for the next couple of years. 
And so having a guy like that willing to stay around, um, especially on a team that has a bad history of being able to keep guys, um, especially guys that have like played a good chunk of their career in Los Angeles, to keep them in Utah, I think is really speaks to like where the organization is is trending right now. So I think Jazz fans were were really excited about Jordan Clarkson. Uh, he has this chance this next season to fit a very specific role and to fill some very specific needs as far as being a playmaker, being a shot creator. Because you start to look at our roster like right now and how we're constructed. Yeah, Larry Markin and he's a guy that can really score. But is he that guy that, that you can give the ball to with three seconds on the shot clock and expect him to create his own shot? I don't know if he necessarily is. Whereas Jordan Clarkson is absolutely capable of doing that. And he knows how to get to his spots. He has improved every season. He just like, I, I love watching Jordan Clarkson because I think he has such a creative way of scoring. Um, especially just the spots that he chooses. Like he gets to the mid-range a lot, but he also has a really nice floater. And he loves to exploit that. He loves to put people in the pick and roll and then kind of get into that. 9 to 15 foot range and use either his mid-range or his floater and that creativity from scoring is something that the Jazz don't have so I think Jordan Clarkson fits a really specific need for this Utah Jazz team and I'm I'm really optimistic about Jordan Clarkson I think he will have a great season this next this next season see I love the Jordan Clarkson praise and again like I wanted to put his name out there because I agree I mean I watched this dude carve up many defenses as a decision maker because I knew how good Jordan Clarkson could be in terms of firecracker scoring where he could just come in and quickly hit like two threes. But the way that he got to the free throw line and his poise as a player, I think this was the best version of Clarkson that we've seen. So I didn't want to highlight that there. Another surprise that I think a lot of people might not have thought of, Will Hardy is the coach. I mean, to me, I thought Will Hardy was a pretty good assistant in Boston. I feel like he added a a ton of structure to what they did and i think he was a big unsung hero for their turnaround last year underneath coach ime udoka but i think his creativity offensively and the way he thought to use the these pieces on the jazz team was a big part of why Lori marketing had so much success because if your coach is not flexible and not creative from the offensive end you're not really going to be able to know how good the pieces you have are so what were your thoughts on Will Hardy's first year coaching this Jazz team? I think he had an incredible first year. Uh, look, this is somebody that comes from the Greg Popovich coaching tree. That's where he started in San Antonio. Had a good run in Boston, um, especially under that Emi Odoka coaching staff. Like That that was a really good year for Boston. We kind of saw this last season, the effect that that coaching staff as a whole had on their team. Um, this last season, though, I think Jazz fans were like, really surprised about how smoothly the offense would operate you're looking at a rookie head coach and you're kind of like expecting there to be a lot of wrinkles uh maybe being some a lack of effort so i think will hardy has just been able to command multiple parts of the game where i think he's done a really good job at managing egos and also getting guys to just try every night like i said the jazz were pretty competitive on most nights uh, you'll get some like the plat plus num plus minus numbers, especially for the starters. Like Laurie Markinen finished as a positive. Jordan Clarkson finished as a positive. Walker Kessler. Uh, the list goes on. A lot of these guys finished as a positive throughout the season, throughout an 82 game season. And I think a big part of that is 
because Will Hardy was able to get these guys to buy in on a night-to-night basis. I think you also just see the effort. Uh, you see the effort in Jordan Clarkson's defense. I think you see the effort in the way Colin Sexton plays. Will Hardy is all about finding players' superpowers and then maximizing those. That's one of the reasons I'm really excited for this next season because I think you're throwing in some new pieces and it's going to be curious. I'm really curious to see like how Will Hardy is able to maximize their superpowers. I thought he did a really good job at turning Kelly Olenek, especially at the end of the season, into a facilitator and into like this kind of this guy that you can essentially plug and play anywhere and he can fill any role. And he did a great job at it. Um, I think he did a good job at helping Jordan Clarkson find his superstar power as a uh, scorer, as a playmaker, as a decision maker. I think Laurie Markkinen absolutely had, uh, look, no question, had the best season of his career. I think Will, Par- Will Hardy played a part in that. You start to look at other guys like Taylor Horton Tucker. He had a really good end of the season. And Will Hardy had mentioned that he was especially hard on Taylor and Horton Tucker because he believes in him so much. So I think just that combination of believing in his guys as well as the system that he has built um, has been really big for the Utah Jazz. And because of that, like Jazz fans, we're excited. Let's be clear. I think I think there are are still like some some things that you'll probably be able to see like. He's not a perfect coach. It's impossible to be a perfect coach. Uh, we haven't seen him in the playoffs yet. We don't know how he's going to scheme against another team throughout a seven-game series. So I think that's kind of like the next step. That's what we want to see. Uh, we also just want to see like how the Jazz are able to finish an 82-game season. Because like I said, last year, I, like the guys were still trying hard all 82 games. But how are you going to actually close the season when you're trying to make the playoffs when you have all of your guys healthy, all of them playing? I think that's the hope, at least. And so how, how is that how is that all going to fit? Is Will Hardy going to be able to coach them throughout an 82-game season? Is he still going to have the command of his guys in year two? I think those are some questions. But overall, like, there's tons of reasons to be optimistic. The organization loves him. Fans love him. Uh, and the players, which I think is the most important, the players love him. And they really respect him. He's also, <laughs> look... The guy, I think Will Hardy is like 35 years old, so he's the sa- he was the same age as Mike Conley last year. Uh, he's kind of right around the age of Kelly Olynyk. He's like, these guys are his peers. So for them to be able to respect and listen to him the way that they have, I think really speaks to Will Hardy's character. 100%. I think that was spot on analysis about Will Hardy. And I love how you were so personal about his personal impact on the team because as a head coach for your first year, you're going to be tasked with doing a lot of things in terms of maximizing the roster. But building those bonds and relationships with the players goes a long way to getting your vision out there. Because we've seen a, a ton of coaches might have the best X's and O's that we've seen. But if you're not personal enough to relate to those players, you can't get the team to buy in. And it felt like on a night end base, no matter who he had, he got people to buy into what he wanted to do, and they had a bunch of success considering the expectations and talent that they actually had. So I had to highlight him. The last thing I'm going to highlight, and this is going to be slightly negative, okay? Slightly negative and also kind of <laughs> funny, okay? I got to say, the Russell Westbrook jazz photoshops were hilarious. I love jazz fans. Seeing him rock that jazz, yelling. First off, I was already thinking, damn, okay, Russ with Lori Marketing, like that's gonna be great to see. Like, I can see that, but you know, obviously you guys wave him instead. But my question is, okay, I loved every move the Jazz made up to that point. And maybe I'm overhyping these players, 
But I felt as if they could have got a bigger return for some of the players that they shipped out as a part of the Russell Westbrook trade. Mike Conley is good. Like, he's a really good player. Yeah. I understand oh, yeah. his contract isn't isn't great because he's making a, a good amount of money. But in terms of his value to a playoff team, I mean, dude, the chemistry he had with Gobert after that trade changed that Minnesota team tremendously. He's also low-key the guard whisperer. His chemistry with Donovan Mitchell, his chemistry with Anthony Edwards and all these other people. Everyone talks about him as a really good dude, but it's not just that. He can also play great basketball. He's an efficient player. So the fact that you traded him and some other valuable pieces, I kind of felt off about it because I feel like you could have got more value back and I didn't really see the like runaway value. What were your thoughts on the trade deadline for the Jazz? No, I think... I think there were a lot of mixed feelings about it because um, on one hand you have this group of guys that has played really well together and a guy like Mike Conley who has sort of made Utah's home like I think his real home is in Ohio uh, kind of where he played basketball and where he grew up and stuff but he had a home in Utah his kids were going to school in Utah um, and he played for Jazz for four years like people loved him he's obviously just an incredibly likable guy and so Anytime that a personality like that is traded, I think it's really difficult for fans. From more of like a business perspective, I think the the return wasn't great. Um, what the Jazz were able to do with the return with getting Westbrook, who I think they knew they were either going to waive him or that he was going to play out the season and his salary was going to expire, opening up cap space to absorb a guy like John Collins, which they did this last offseason. So if you sort of look at it in that lens, it's like, okay, by trading away Mike Conley, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker at the trade deadline, you were able to open up cap space. And with that cap space, you were able to um, sign Jordan Clarkson and extend him. You were able to trade for John Collins, um, and you only gave a pretty gay in the second round pick. And so you sort of have some more flexibility um, going, in, going into this last offseason than you would have if Mike Conley and those other guys were still on the team. The overall return, like, I, I think it's totally fair to look at that return and be like, man, the Jazz kind of got gypped, uh, especially the way Jared Vanderbilt was playing. Jared Vanderbilt played really good for... Great defense. One and a half season, one and a half series in the NBA playoffs, you know? Uh, I think he's like a super versatile player that will still have an impact on the Lakers this next year. Nikhil Alexander-Walker is another guy that played pretty good for the Timberwolves, uh, I know that series wasn't all that close, but Nikhil Alexander-Walker was a bright spot for the Timberwolves in that series. Mike Conley was also a bright spot, and he played good, and he'll probably continue to play good. So you kind of look at all these assets and all these guys, and you're like, all you got out of that was cap space and a first-round pick that's top three protected in 2027, and I think it's more than fair to be like, okay, maybe that wasn't the most fair deal. Yeah, I mean... I understood the cap space component of that. Um, absorbing the contract of Russ made sense in terms of getting that money off of the books to do more things. And we'll get to what they did with that, with their signing of John Collins, once we get to the 2024 expectations and, and preview part of the podcast. But overall, those are my three biggest takeaways slash surprises for the Utah Jazz to evenly transition to the end of the season and the 2023 offseason let's talk about it so like you said john collins is now on this team now 
how I feel about John Collins. Ah. His hand has been bothering him <laughs> for some seasons now. The three-point shooting was kind of out of whack for him a lot. He, I believe, shot 28% on wide-open jump shots last season. Like, he was not great. The defense wasn't there. Athletically, he was still the same player. But I just felt like the value that he displayed for the Hawks wasn't there. And that was with one of the better playmakers in the league in Trey Young. And I kind of feel like for the Jazz, after... What you guys did in the draft, which I'll get to after, because I, I cannot wait to talk Utah yeah. Jazz, you know, draft. But after that oh, yeah. <laughs> and getting John Collins on his roster, I'm like, did they have to, to like, take a flyer on John Collins? Like, you have a lot of size and length already in the front court position. And I don't think that John Collins is as portable as he might have looked a couple seasons ago. What were your thoughts on them? taking a flyer on John Collins in terms of the salary that they took on. I think if you're purely looking at the salary and the player John Collins was last year, and look, if you're looking at the player he's been historically, it is more than fair to be skeptical about this trade. I personally am, am still skeptical. Like, I, It's something that I'm going to need to see in order to believe the vision. Um, I think where probably the organization's thinking was look this is a guy who three seasons ago was averaging 21 points 10 rebounds shot 40 percent from three played pretty good defense uh the season after had a pretty solid season 17 and 7 uh atlanta got to the conference finals so like this is a guy who's had a history of being able to put up numbers as far as like being a fit that's where i'm really skeptical because that front line of Walker Kessler, Kelly Olynyk, and Larry Markkinen had a lot of complementary skills. And Kelly Olynyk is kind of like the passer, the shooter between the three of those. Uh, Larry Markkinen, obviously an incredible scorer. And then um, those two guys provide space for Walker Kessler to be able to do his thing in the middle. So adding in a guy like John Collins, who... <laughs> looking at the numbers, dude, like he shot 29% from three it's last rough. year. It's like... And, uh... I don't think it's it's 100% a factor of whatever his finger was looking like either. I I, I think there's probably more to it. Um, so that's that's like where I'm skeptical because I don't know if he's as much of a seamless fit as Kelly Olynyk would be between Larry Markin and Walker Kessler. Um, on the other side, Utah's identity, what they're going for is size, and he's a 6'10 guy. He can leap over anybody. There's a reason he's earned the nickname, the John the Baptist. Um, there are things that he can do that Walker Kessler and Larry Markkinen can't do. I like, I don't think he's like a great shot creator, but he is able to kind of get to a shot maybe a little bit easier on his own than Larry Markkinen and Walker Kessler. So that's like one of the things that I'm trying to understand. Defensively, I, I think like you feel pretty okay about that defensive front line if it's Walker Kessler, John Collins, and Larry Markkinen. Um, one advantage of having John Collins is he has experience of playing with the center uh, and a, like a rim-protecting center in Clint Capella. So I think the hope is that that experience will somehow translate to the Utah Jazz. Overall, like I think it's totally, totally fine to be skeptical. I'm very skeptical myself. Um, trying to understand it from like a business perspective, looking at his contract, like, man, that doesn't, 
make a ton of sense because the guy's making 25 million this year, 26 next year, and then he has a player option the year after. So you have this guy for at least three years. Um, let's say the Jazz get to this next offseason, a uh, trade comes up. They could maybe use him as salary, uh, especially if it's a guy that's like making like 40 to $50 million a year. And then some team that's probably tanking, probably rebuilding, is going to absorb John Collins for two years on $26 million. Uh, like Maybe that isn't the worst trade chip ever, um, especially if you're just needing salary. I think, ultimately, if you're a Jazz fan, if you're trying to talk yourself into this, you're talking yourself more into Will Hardy as a coach than you are into John Collins. 100%. And I, I talked a lot about Will Hardy being able to maximize his players, maximize their strengths, figure out how to make them seamlessly fit into his system. I think that's where you're really buying into this. And look, you could totally make an argument like, look at who Larry Markinen was before he was in Will Hardy's system, before he was with the Utah Jazz. Maybe you can get some sort of a similar career revival in John Collins. I will say my, my eyes again, and that's a big part of why I, I want to watch Jazz Ball this year because my eyes will be on that a lot because that was the biggest head scratcher because to me it's like, yes, this team was competitive. They lost <laughs> properly. They got the draft picks, the, the assets, like flexibility. Ah, like they can zigzag whenever they want. And then they <laughs> trade for John Collins and they give up capital. Deuce. Like it, it felt like such a weird trade. But we'll see what happens with that. And a big part of why it's it's weirder for me though is the draft, man. I mean, yeah. Taylor Hendricks. The Jazz got Taylor Hendricks on this team. I'm not huge in the college basketball. I'm not. But what I do is after the draft, I look up clips, highlights, and I educate myself on like the top 20, 30 people who are coming into the league. And Taylor Hendricks, I mean, the length. The IQ, the size, and the way that he's able to rim protect, but also be a little bit switchable on guards as well. I mean, me imagining a front court of Laurie, Kessler, and him, I love the potential for that in the future. And knowing that John Collins is on his roster and could potentially handicap the Jazz from playing him the minutes to develop and see what he is really bothers me. But Overall, there's more that you guys did with the draft, but what were your thoughts about the Jazz's draft picks in 2023? Yeah, before I get into that, I'm just going to, I just want to like hammer down that point because the Jazz had a really perplexing offseason from a front court perspective. Uh, they drafted Taylor Hendricks, and then a couple days later, they traded for John Collins, and then they kept Kelly Olinick. They signed Omer Yurtsevin. They have Walker Kessler. They have Laurie Markinoner already. Like, that's a pretty loaded front court. As far as the draft, Taylor Hendricks, I think, is a really fun piece at number nine. Uh, you talked about it a little bit, but I think he projects really well to be like a secondary rim protector. And that's why I think the fit with Walker Kessler specifically would be really interesting because defensively, like he can be that secondary rim protector. He's also a guy that can go out on the perimeter. He can switch. Uh, he has experience guarding guards. He has experience guarding some of the forwards so like if you get into the playoffs and you get into the situations where you're guarding the Kawhi Leonard's of the world being able to just have that size and strength in a guy like Taylor Hendricks I think speaks volumes for being flexible in the postseason and that's where I think Taylor Hendricks is a great fit um I also think offensively like he's the guy that shoots the ball and he shoots the heck out of the ball 
and he projects really well to be like a catch and shoot sort of guy. Uh, he, as far as like creation, that's kind of the big question mark around Taylor Hendricks. Like, I think he projects really well to be a shooter, a uh, guy that will finish lobs. He's honestly a really impressive athlete. Um, but like you, the shot creation, there's not a whole ton of it. You're not seeing him take guys off the dribble. Uh, I think Jazz fans were in that sense were like more attracted to a guy like Jarris Walker in the draft who is really good passer uh, for his position. He has um, he's playing like a lot of um, playmate. He's doing a lot of playmaking duties, whereas Taylor Hendricks wasn't necessarily doing that for a UCF this UCF team that was ultimately like, pretty okay. Um, overall, like I think there's a lot to be optimistic about Taylor Hendricks. Where Jazz fans are hesitant is the creation, as well as just like not being able to see him in summer league. I think that was hard for a lot of Jazz fans because out of the three of these guys, he has the best history of being healthy, and so Jazz fans were really excited to see that. And for him to like not play at all during summer league was a little bit disappointing. The silver lining is you got to watch Keontae George, and Keontae George played incredibly in the summer league. So fun to watch, bro. and. Just a really fun, really dynamic player. Uh, offensively, like he looks really complete. Um, he played really good in the summer league. What I was looking for specifically with Keontae George is how he would do as a point guard because I think ultimately he projects to be a point guard. And if you want to be able to like maximize the player that he can be, you're going to want him to be your point guard. You're going to want him to be running the possessions, not just like as an off-ball scorer. I think he's capable of that, but I do think... In order to maximize him and his potential, you want him playing the one. I look at him and there's been a lot of comparisons. Um, one of the most common ones that's been thrown out. And like, look, comparisons just kind of help you know what to look for. But it's been Jamal Murray. Um, as far as like stylistically, who is he as a player? Like, I think Keontae George is mostly a score first kind of player. But he's also a guy that can score in a lot of different ways. Uh, the three-point shooting looked really good in the summer league. He can score off the dribble. He can score off the catch. Um, he can drive. He can get to different spots. And so with Keontae George, like as a shot creator, that's really encouraging, especially going into a team that lacks the shot creation that I've talked about a little bit. So I think he was a great pick. Um, getting him at number 16, like a, a couple Jazz fans were hoping for Jalen Hood-Chafino at 16. We're hoping for some of those guys before him. Ultimately, I think getting Keontae George, I was personally very high on him. I had him at number eight on my draft board as I was doing my research. I had Taylor Hendricks at number nine and Bryce Sensabaugh rounding out the top 14. So from my perspective, I was beyond excited. Um, Brett, just a little bit on Bryce Sensabaugh, who I think is a really interesting pick at 28. He's not a guy that I would expect to see a ton of this year. Uh, defensively, he has a lot of limitations. He's also an incredibly talented scorer, and he can score from everywhere. Um, he was one of the best shooters in college basketball last year. He was a number one option, quickly played his way into the starting role for that Ohio State team. Really good three-point shooter. Kind of has like sort of a DeMar DeRozan game uh, in the mid-range. And then he's just big. Like he's he's like 6'4", I think, but he plays a lot bigger than that. Uh, you kind of look at him and you're like, man, the, he kind of, he just plays like bully ball. And he's able to muscle his way around guys. I think he's going to be a really fun scorer. Uh, I think there's a lot of wrinkles in his game. That's probably why he fell at 28th as well as some injury history. But I think he's a guy that like 
at 28, if you're taking a flyer on a guy, if that's going to be your third first round draft pick, you feel pretty good about that being your third pick. And I just think the looking at like the sum of these pieces is really fun because they're all different players. They all kind of play a little bit differently. Ideally, let's say they all hit their potential. You could play all three of them at the same time. Like they're not guys that are competing for minutes that are playing the same position. Um, and so I think that's really fun being able to get guy, three different guys that all have different skill sets and are bringing different things to the table in the draft in the first round is a lot of fun. Keontae George, I think out of the, out of the three is like the one that jazz fans are most excited about because not only has he proved, proven himself on the court in a way through his summer league performance, but he's also just, he's electric man. Like watching him, uh, he talks to people, Confident. he's so confident man it's so smooth and just like so composed as a playmaker as a creator i think jazz fans are going to quickly fall in love with him i think jazz fans will probably fall in love with taylor hendrix as, he, as soon as they see him in action too because of his athleticism his defense like jazz fans they just we love defense we love a guy that can play really hard defense will play hard on both sides of the court and i think taylor hendrix projects to do that pretty well so overall all like you're looking at this draft and they probably did as good as they could have done considering where they were drafting. And that is why for me, like adding in John Collins with the salary, I'm like, I would, I would love to see these younger players just get more, more tick, especially in a Will Hardy system where Will Hardy is going to let these players be themselves and maximize the best versions of themselves. But again, we'll see. Maybe I'm just a John Collins hater. I just, I'm sorry. I watched that man get abused defensively. I watched him get left wide open. It's a tough sell for me, but like you said, if you're a Jazz fan, Will in Will Hardy we trust. We we trust Will Hardy to like you know have a new environment, a breath of fresh air for John Collins, and maybe he'll bounce back and have a revenge season. That is a hundred percent a possibility. But now that we've talked about the draft the trades in the 2023 season we are now at the end of the podcast where we come to a conclusion on the expectations for the 2024 utah jazz richie what are your thoughts about this team headed into 2024 you're going into a really interesting year because um last year there was sort of this incentive to maybe lose games not be super competitive this year there isn't that same incentive with what's being considered like not a very good draft class in this 2024 draft class so the jazz are i think they're going to try to be competitive i think they're going to be fighting for a play-in spot for most of the season um you start to look at like their roster and how deep it is like i'll, I'll kind of run through the lineups that i'm thinking of i think starting you have colin sexton jordan clarkson larry mark and john collins walker kessler and then off the bench you probably your next five would be chris dunn um Ochag Baji, Taylor Hendricks, Kelly Olinick, uh some combination of like Taylor Horn Tucker, somebody from Tecchio. And like that's like a pretty deep team. And then you go even deeper than that. You got like Omer Yurtsevin, Lucas Samanich, who had a good summer league. Um Keontae George, who I have no idea where he's gonna fit in the depth chart. I think that's gonna be a training camp battle. And you start to look at this team like, okay, let's say John Collins gets injured. He has a history of getting injured. All of a sudden, you can plug in Kelly Olynyk. You're opening up more minutes for Taylor Hendricks. If you want to stay big, you can plug in Omer Yurtsevin. 
there's a lot of options. Let's say one of the guards gets injured. You have Taylor Horton Tucker, Chris Dunn, Keontae George off the bench. Those are three guys that are all very different players, can bring different things to your team, and have all played. Um, uh, uh, Taylor Hendrick or Taylor Horton Tucker and Chris Dunn have like both played a lot of NBA minutes, and Keontae George is somebody that you're going to want to be playing a lot of NBA minutes. So I think just the combination. If you look at how deep this roster is, there's reason to be optimistic about them being competitive. As far as like being a championship caliber team, this team is nowhere close. I think, let's be pretty clear on that, this team has some glaring weaknesses, uh, especially from a playmaking perspective. I think they have a lot of pieces. What I'm most curious to see is who is going to be the guy, if any, that can put it all together. I think Kelly Olynyk can do a lot of like being being a blue glue guy, being able to put things together. I don't know if Colin Sexton is that guy. I think he, in a lot of ways, is the guy to watch this next season because if he can turn into like a playmaker, uh, like I don't think he's going to get to a Mike Conley level playmaker, but if he can be like a guy that you can trust to have the ball in his hands for 10 seconds each possession, um, to be able to get your guys in their set, in their motions, then the Jazz have like a pretty high ceiling uh, to the point where I think you are talking about a playoff berth. If they don't have somebody to put it all together, though, then I could think I could see things kind of just like not going great, uh, probably staying around like 500, maybe falling off towards the end of the season. Ultimately, I think the the biggest thing they have going for them is just their depth and. Will Hardy being able to get these guys to play hard every night. After seeing a full 82-game season of that, I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic that this team is going to come come out this next season, continue to be competitive. There's a lot more to play for. Um, if the Jazz do end up being a bottom 10 team, then they will have rights to their pick. If not, then OKC will have that pick. So from sort of a business perspective, um, there is some incentive for them to win or lose, just depending on what they want to do with that pick. Um by giving it to OKC, you'd also open up your pick in the 2025 draft, which is um, a lot of people are saying is going to be an even better draft than 2024. So you kind of look at all these like moving pieces. Ultimately, it's just going to be what are the guys able to do on the court? What are they going to be able to do on a night to night basis? Are things going to go right for them or are things going to go wrong? Uh, I mean, sometimes it just comes down to one guy making a shot at the end of the game. And whether that guy's on your team or he's on the other team, that could determine kind of the way your season starts and the way it starts going, if that's happening on a nightly basis. And so I think I think there's a lot to watch with the Utah Jazz. They're going to be a really fun team to watch. They're going to be a fun team to cover. I personally am excited to watch them on a nightly basis, cover them, break down the film, try to understand how they're working together. Um, lots of different moving pieces. And I think... As fans, as people that are on the outside, it's just going to be really interesting to see how it all comes together. 100%. I think you said a lot of interesting things there. I feel like for me, if I'm isolating the goals and purposes of this upcoming season, it's really to establish continuity under the Will Hardy system, establish that system for yet another season, adjust Lori Markkinen even more into being like, your current franchise player, unless you might potentially trade him for like a real star player. We'll see what happens with that. But just getting the younger guys to buy into the system and just having another year where, where you're for sure establishing, okay, this is year two of the rebuild. 
but we're going to win. And having that be a consistent pattern that echoes throughout the season. In terms of actual success, in terms of are they going to be a playoff team or a top 10 team, I don't know exactly what happens with the Jazz because there's so many teams in the West that have gotten better and are going to be super competitive yeah. and want to win that it is very plausible that the Jazz will not be in that play-in conversation and they might just be like a 12 or potentially 11 seed. But like you said, injuries happen all the time and as bad as the long jam is at the front court position, you are, are equipped to play players minutes if guys get hurt. That's a great point you bring up there. So me seeing them as a potential play-in shocker isn't really surprising to me. I could see that. But yeah, um, I, I'm with you. Overall, I think those are good goals for the Jazz to have. And I do think that they have the roster construction and the personnel in the front office with the head coach to execute that vision and that goal for yet another year. And as we know, one year in the NBA, in one year, <laughs> a team can lose their best and second best player. So equally in one year, a lot can happen, a lot can change. And then all of a sudden, oh my God, this Jazz team just made this blockbuster deal and they still have assets to do X, Y, or Z. That's the business and the ins and outs of the NBA. So me personally, I'm excited to be watching Utah Jazz basketball. And I want to say, Richie, I appreciate having you on the podcast. I want to give you your space to promote some things that you got going on. Feel free to go ahead. Yeah, hey, I, I appreciate being on the podcast. Always just great to talk hoops, especially in September when we're getting so anxious for the start of the season. So close. Um, so close, man. I, I'm i creating content uh, at Jazz Lead on Twitter, uh, daily video content, trying to break down the Jazz, understand how things go. I'm also um, posting my podcast on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, under the name Swish Lake City. That's uh, the podcast name. And it's a lot of fun, man. Like I said, we're super close to the season. It's awesome to be able to talk basketball. And I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. I really appreciate having you on as well. Again, go check it out. I think you're like 17 or 18 episodes in. I've been listening. Dope stuff. He articulates yeah, yeah. himself well. He was going off about Jordan Clarkson in FIBA. So definitely tap in for those types <laughs> of conversations. Also, I'm going to be tapping a lot more with you during the season as well. So I appreciate having you on the podcast today, Richie. For those of you who made it to the end, you listened to an hour and 10 minutes of Utah Jazz basketball. We talked about <laughs> John Collins, Jordan Clarkson, Will Hardy, Walker Kessler being the future, Rudy Gobert, Lori Markkinen being who he was and things of that nature. So if you made it this far, appreciate it so, so much. This is only episode 31 of the podcast and i'm trying to stay as consistent as look, as consistent as possible as a creator on a night in night out basis and for me you know obviously i work a full-time job outside of this i work 10 hours a day and i gotta go to work tomorrow in the morning so officially i'm bringing this podcast to an end make sure to like comment and subscribe on the youtube side of things let me know your thoughts on the utah jazz and what you think their season is going to be looking like is it good is it bad how high are you on the jazz and as always i'll catch you guys in the next gifted hoops podcast more uploads on the channel are on the way make sure to like and five star this podcast on audio platforms we have two two five star ratings on spotify and i appreciate that because we had zero so growth in any capacity is much appreciated but peace out people have a good one we'll catch you guys next week on the gifted hoops podcast peace out have a good one people